0: Welcome to Bible and Stuff, a podcast about the Bible and stuff. I'm Glenn. And I'm Tanner. And today we have a special guest on the show. We have Mr. Greg Lanier joining us. Uh, And I'm just going to give a a brief kind of intro as to who he is, and then we'll jump right into it. Uh, But Greg Lanier is Associate Professor of New Testament at Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando, Florida. Uh, And he's an associate pastor at River Oaks Church. He's also the author of multiple books, including the one that we'll be talking about today, uh, which is titled Old Made New, A Guide to the New Testament Use of the Old Testament. Uh, So yeah, we're really excited to talk about this book
1: today. And Greg, hey. Uh, Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate getting to know you guys and uh, this opportunity. Uh, Yeah, so I um, have been in ministry for really in kind of about 10 years or so now. I currently, and have been for about six and a half years, I teach New Testament at Reformed Theological Seminary down here in Orlando. I'm actually a graduate of RTS, but at a different campus. Uh, before all of that, worked in business, so I was a layperson, just an interested layperson reading books and that kind of thing for quite a while before going into ministry. And then also, so my day job's at RTS. My nights and weekends job is, at, uh, is associate pastor at River Oaks Church up in Lake Mary, Florida. And do a variety of things there. And uh yeah, married, have three girls and so uh yeah, it's a good phase. They're they're at fun ages and uh life is busy with coaching soccer and swimming now <laughs> finally. It's it's warm enough to you know, just doing normal kind of dad and that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's a good, That's awesome. good phase of life. But uh but yeah, so busy with church and teaching church men and women and yeah, so it's good. Yeah, Very that's cool. Awesome. Um, yeah, I was looking at the bio
2: associate professor, associate pastor, and I was thinking, at least people like to associate with you. That's good. <laughs> well,
1: you know, I used to be assistant oh. pastor and assistant professor. Wow. And, you know, outside of like our world, it's not always a good thing to be like, it sort of sounds really bad. I was like, everyone's, I was, I was like the Dwight Schrute of <laughs> biblical studies. It's like, I'm the assistant to the pastor, yeah, so at yeah. least I'm now a associate, which actually kind of sounds worse, because it sounds like you're not, you're like barely employed, but, um, yeah, so it's one day when I'm finally grown up, maybe I'll be a full something, Uh that would be nice, yeah, yeah. 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 I can I'll really, be more legit, get a name really. tag. So today we're talking about
2: uh, the new book, uh, it's called Old Made New, A Guide to the New Testament Use of the Old Testament, which I... I got to read it, which I'm, I'm excited about. I thought it was very, very helpful. I think you also do a good job, um, even with the subtitle of that, making sure it, it stays really accessible for kind of the everyday Christian, the average churchgoer to be able to pick it up and and think more deeply about the Old Testament in general, but especially how the Old Testament finds its way into the New Testament and what all the different ways that the New Testament authors use it and stuff like that. Um, so I'm curious... I mean, this is the generic, why did you write this book? But I'm curious even more so about what is it that you were seeing? What do you think people—how do you think people normally interact with the Old Testament? And again, the New Testament—or uh, the Old New Testament's use of the Old Testament. What were the things that, uh, that you saw over and over again that you thought, okay, this is worth addressing, this is worth making this accessible little book uh, that can maybe point people in the right direction?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, there's obviously— When you bring something into the world like that, there's a lot of factors. So I'll try to keep it fairly simple, probably the main one from from a pastoral angle. And so just serving people who are in the pew, just everyday people who want to learn how to read their Bibles better, know Jesus better, know all of the counsel of God in a more full way. Uh, What I had noticed and what I found in myself, certainly before I became a professional assistant or associate, (laughs) um, (laughs) was, you know... In many respects, as soon as you hit Matthew one one, and, and he's mentioning Jesus, David, Abraham, and all this stuff, uh, you know the New Testament uses the Old Testament. You may not mm-hmm. really know how to articulate that, but you, you can't. You can't avoid it. It's impossible to, to get around. And mm-hmm. um, you kind of have two choices, and most people go one particular direction. When when you pick up on those things and you see them, or a quotation that's very overt. Uh, I think there's a temptation to kind of just keep reading in the New Testament. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I know. I see quotation marks, but I don't—and maybe, maybe I have a footnote in my study Bible that tells me that's from Habakkuk or something. But I don't know who that is, and I'm just going to keep going. I have I have five minutes at best before the kids wake up, and I'm just going to keep reading in Galatians, right? Uh, and I've been there, and, and that's a real temptation, Um and, and some folks don't really know any better necessarily they, they don't know like, oh, maybe there's a maybe I should like follow that up And so at the very basic level, uh, what I was hoping to do um, and what I hope the book accomplishes is help that kind of person, especially if you're pressed for time or if you don't have a seminary degree or whatever, uh, have some basic Steps and an and exhortation to do this like a, a basic mm-hmm. motivation and some steps they can do that are fairly simple, easy to remember. They're not, they don't require an advanced degree, you don't have to be a pastor to do it. Where they can sort of double click on that whenever you see Matthew quoting Isaiah, Paul quoting something that seems obscure from Deuteronomy, and then go and explore that because having been in that place and then having really caught the bug of this whole use of the Old Testament and the New, especially in seminary, but then after that, um, I've personally found it just to be very enriching. And I found that whenever I show people how to do that in Sunday school or from the pulpit, um, even people who've been in church for a long time, and you would think they know this, right? They, A, don't often, and B, they find it really enriching when they do that. You know, I have people come up to me and say, you know, I didn't really, like I kind of knew about the David, son of David, Jesus being the Christ thing, but this I had someone tell me this a while back. Um, they were they've been a long time in the church, super sharp on theology, but they they came up to me and said, you know, I didn't realize, I didn't really know what Second Samuel seven was, and like the covenant promises to David that there would be a son, and it's like blew my mind. I'm like, yeah, well, it's kind of all over the place, right? <laughs> I was like in one says, like how'd you miss that? But then, but I'm like, I can totally get why you missed that because we don't often do a great job uh, helping people go from new back to old. Uh, and so that's the basic motivation is to help, to really inspire lay people to do that um, and to, to equip them with something that can guide them to do it. I mentioned in the book that when you decide, and this is what I found as uh, whenever I started doing this in a scholarly way, whenever you try to say, all right, I'm going to figure out what Luke is doing with Amos 9 in Acts chapter 15, as soon as you kind of probe that and you kind of pull that thread, it is crazy. Uh, all the different opinions and all of a sudden you're reading Big words that you never heard before, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, not just like hermeneutics, but fancy terminology for midrash and that kind of thing. I don't know what you're talking about. Like in the Qumran scrolls, it shows up here and 4Q (laughs) Florilegium. And you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. I barely know how to find Acts 15. Um, And it's a it's a very difficult step. Uh, part, and so that's so my my big motivation is to sort of hold lay people's hands to do that. The other motivation was there's so much that's been done in this area that's some of it's great. Some of it's not so great. But either way, there's a lot that's been done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this book really isn't meant for scholars because, you know, there's a thousand books in this area. Everyone's poked and prodded, you know, Peter's use of whatever. Um But the weird thing is, and this is what I found as a scholar, is that so much of the good stuff that's been done um, has almost all, if not all, been very technical. Uh, PhD dissertations that are impossible to read and cost $150 (laughs) or even even books that are accessible and popular my seminary students still kind of struggle with them sometimes. I, I was like, I, you know, I struggle with them because they're, the, they're theoretically complicated and the jargon just starts to overwhelm you. And I sat back, and this is when I started talking with Crossway. I said, look, I'm not aware of a, an accessible version. There, hmm. There's one that's out there that, that gets close, but even again, at, on page one, it's, it's very complicated jargon, just almost by necessity. It's like, maybe that's because it's impossible to do this. Maybe this is a stupid project. <laughs> but there's got to be some way where I can equip just a, a person who's new to the Bible to go and do this and not use fancy terminology, not have nine steps that they have to do, and they got to go and study Greek, Hebrew, and know where the Targums are and all that kind of stuff. Like Nobody's going to do that. What's a simple way to kind of keep it in the fairway and take all of this rich stuff that people have done that's largely inaccessible and hard to read and package it in a way that your average like Bible study leader could read during the summer and it could benefit them in the fall when they're back yeah. to leading their Bible study on Matthew. And that's, that's the ultimate goal, sort of helping lay people, but also can we translate some of the really good stuff that's been done can we translate that and package it in a way that is accessible? Uh, as I say in the, the intro, that, something that my mom would read. So, <laughs> and she is reading it. She's been, she was in town and she has been reading it. So Doesn't if that, nothing else, I accomplished that goal. That always great. feels good.
0: Our yeah. moms listen to the show and it's always yeah. so nice to hear it when they they respond to something and if nothing we're
1: talking else about. uh crossway i was very pleased with the cover it's my my wife's favorite cover of all my books and so there's also that it's gonna look good <laughs> uh even if you don't read it so it's fine buy yeah. it just for the cover that's fine
2: yeah crossway does a good yeah. job with that a lot of times yeah uh and the more academic <laughs> the more academic side of book publishing it uh, generally does not as good
1: a job. Well, <laughs> there's always that. the joke of like the if it's an academic book, the uglier the cover, the typically better, the, better <laughs> the book. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, well, yeah. I I just got to say I love that you've done this. I think uh, a lot of times new believers come to the faith because there's this push for the good news of of what Jesus has done, and yeah, Old Testament kind of ends up getting pushed pushed to the side right. a little bit uh, with this thought that like. Well, it's all about Jesus. But then you look at the Old Testament and you're like, well, the Old Testament, it's all about it's, Jesus, it's too, when you, you look you, at yeah. it. Yeah. And uh, actually, on
1: that point, I, that's, I forgot to mention that because there's like 50 reasons why I read it. But one of them, <laughs> to the extent that a new, whether it's a new believer, and I think that's a legit thing, like you, you get on fire for Jesus and you're going to naturally gravitate towards the Gospels. That's a good thing. Uh like and people are like, well, there's also the Old Testament and you should go read that too, and then you pick it up and you're like, I don't know what's going on, right? <laughs> this makes no sense to me. I didn't grow up in Sunday school. I don't know who Daniel is or whatever. So um, so there's one option when you're trying to cultivate and disciple a new believer and say, look, we're two covenant, you know, we're, we're Old and New Testament people, not just one, right? And Jesus' identity is entirely shaped by the Old Testament. So Old Testament's important, Right. You could either say, here's the Old Testament, go read it because you're supposed to, right? Go go take your medicine. And they, they're like, Genesis 1, 2, that's all good, and like some Psalms and whatnot. But you get to like numbers, like, I, dude, I'm out. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, why are you making me read this? Like, that's one strategy uh, to kind of take your medicine because you have to, Old Testament approach. The other approach is, and this is kind of where this book fits in, because it's not a book about how to read the Old Testament, uh, mm-hmm. just to be clear. It's a book about how the New Testament reads the Old Testament. Mm. And so I, if I had a new believer and said, look, I, I want you to be fully orbed in your Christianity, and that implies you've gotta you've gotta have all of God's revelation. I could use the stick and sort of say, Go and read your Old Testament, get the uh, you know the machine reading plan and, and see me next year. Or I could say, All right, well, let's open up John. And right out of the gate, you're in Genesis one, right? Or let's look at Romans, and you can't get away from the Old Testament. And that's sort of the carrot of like, if you want to make sense of the New Testament and this Jesus guy, the New Testament's like screaming at you: go back, go left, right, go back to the Old Testament. And so, and, and sort of the, one of the corollary motives behind the book is to inspire people to to take the Old Testament seriously because the New Testament like I know personally because the old Testament merits being taken seriously. So I, hear me correctly, but a new yeah. believer, they're like, I, I'm more than happy to stay yeah. in the new Testament. Like, well, no, you can't do that. It, it doesn't even give you that option. It's constantly, uh, motivating you to get, to go back. And so that's another motivation It's like, okay, we can do a much better job cultivating a full canonical, uh, reading strategy, if you will, uh, if we start with the new and follow its lead back to the old, that's not the only thing we should do. But that's—I think this is a, a compelling place to start, at least. So yeah,
0: yeah, that's. Yeah. Anyway, I kind of
1: cut you off. I didn't know if that was where you were going. No, that,
0: yeah, but. yeah, I, I was just, yeah, that was the thought I was getting. At.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: Um. So before we jump into a few of the practical tools that you lay out in the book, I am curious. We, you, you, we said. We can't really read the New Testament and uh, and avoid the Old Testament, but we like to try. <laughs> right. uh, and so I'm curious, what's the diagnosis there? If we just say, I'm just going to stick to the New Testament, and I'm just, just interested in Jesus, I don't get any of that old stuff, and it's it's hard. What are we losing when we try to, to avoid it?
1: Yeah, and there's probably, you know, even in just diagnosing it, it's probably different reasons for different people. Sure. Uh, I think for many folks— the New Testament itself is very foreign. It's closer because you know, the Roman Empire, and, and when you read like First and Second Corinthians as an example, you're like, "Oh, that kind of sounds like today." Yes, we got these the dumpster fire of issues at Corinth. It's like, yeah, there's there's a lot of analogies to today's church, so it's a bit closer to us because the Roman Empire is a bit more familiar. But it's still two thousand years ago, right? Well, you take the Old yeah. Testament, and it's you know nearly double that, and so there's a, it's just extremely foreign to people. Um, And if you didn't grow up going to VBS and with the felt boards and the curriculum, you know, whatever, making crafts involving uh, the march around Jericho um, or have murals of Noah and the Ark, which are always like, well, why did we do that? Why did we put murals of Noah and the Ark in like our pre-K classrooms when there's like millions of people dying underneath those waters? But I digress. (laughs) Uh, So there's there's that That's one reason This is the kind of foreignness And that becomes a real barrier to people Because there's like I I don't really know what to do with this Another one can be a principled reason Where they've been taught By, you know, big figures That either A We don't need the New Testament Excuse me, the Old Testament Because we've come into the New Era And and what have you We're New Covenant ministers There's that view out there Uh, Or um, they've been taught by prominent figures that the New Testament. might keep saying the Old Testament is like bad. You know, it's yeah. You got the conquest and the alleged genocide and all this violence and polygamy and so forth, and people don't know how to handle that very well. And so they're like, "Look, that that's terrible." Uh, when it when you're trying to reach your neighbor, uh, <laughs> and so let's st- let's stick with the New Testament. Of course, that view tends to ignore the b- whole Book of Revelation and so on. Because uh, they want, you know, sweet little six pound chubby cheek Jesus who's friendly. Uh, that's, that was a Talladega Nice reference, by the yeah. way. Um, or it was an allusion to it. Anyway, so there's a lot of reasons why people end up in that kind of uh, neglecting the Old Testament. Facts. So what was your original question? <laughs> <To go laughs> what do we lose when we, oh, what when do we, we lose? have we that mindset? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A well, we've kind of mentioned it already, but um, you know, God has been revealing Himself for a long time, mm. and to to neglect the Old Testament misses out on over two thirds of the Bible and two thirds of how He has revealed Himself. Mm-hmm. So that's a big, big part of it. Knowing the full character of God requires knowing what He's revealed. So uh, it'd be like marrying someone and uh, only caring about the last couple years of their life. And not caring about how they grew up and all these kinds of things, mm-hmm. so I think that's a big part of it. Uh, there's so there's kind of a theological component that you're just missing out on, um, and, th- that ac- and that is and that is actually good for your soul to grapple with some of the questions that the Old Testament raises. Uh, yeah. that there's that people have thought about these. Like I always get, it's always funny to me when people like come to me and say, "Man, I've come up with the big defeater of Christianity. Why does God allow evil?" And I'm like. Bro, people have been thinking about that for thousands of years. <laughs> um, like you're, you know. So, anyway, um, so there's that. More more pertinent to the book, one of the thing, one of the ways I wanted to shape the book is to actually kind of prove this point out without getting into the weeds of the the steps and that kind of thing, which we can get into. And you may recall that the 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 bulk of the book is actually structured in in three main chapters,
0: mm-hmm. with
1: a sort of an intro and a conclusion. Essentially, is how it works. It's pretty simple. And each of the three chapters, what I'm attempting to do, in addition to giving people tools and helping them practice those tools, is a very practically oriented book, but really the overlying, or the, the, the overarching thing is I want people to come away convinced that the Old Testament is absolutely essential for three main things. There's some others, but I think these three cover the waterfront. And, the, and, and one of them is pretty obvious to most people who've had that aha moment that the Old Testament is about Jesus. So that's the, that's the middle one, which is the Old Testament is completely essential. It's a non-negotiable to understanding both the person, i.e. the you know eternal pre-existence, uh, human incarnation, saving work, full divinity— all of that when we talk about the person, uh, well, person and work of Jesus. Um, and yeah, you know, I know for me, I wasn't really taught that growing up. Mm-hmm. And for many, many people who uh kind of catch the, the bug and, and get excited about theology, many that's a big area where like, wow, I've never seen the Old Testament this way that it really is pointing towards Jesus. Of course, the the New Testament and Jesus Himself. Is saying that over and over again, but people just kind of miss it. So a big part of it is, like we don't understand the fullness of the person and work of Jesus without the Old Testament. And one of the reasons why I, I think that, and it's just almost indisputable when you read the New Testament, is A, when Jesus comes on the scene and he's interacting with these fishermen who are like, who is this guy, uh, or the crowds or whomever. Whenever they're trying to think through, okay, this dude just straight up walked on water, or this guy healed someone, I've never seen this before, or his teaching is, like, far beyond what I've ever heard before, where do they always go to make sense of it? Almost without exception, they go to the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Whether it's Philip and Andrew, like, right after they met him, they're like, dude, we just found the guy that Moses was writing about. Like, that was their gut reaction. Not... You know, let's figure out if he's some deliverer figure from the Mandean cult in Persia. I'm like, no, this is the dude in the Old Testament. But Jesus Himself says it at the very end in Luke 24, when He summarizes His entire life and ministry, He says, "As it is written, you know, I'm the one about about which the Law, the Prophets, and uh, the Psalms was was about." So uh, that's a huge thing that you miss. Uh, maybe the most, in some sense, that's the, probably the most important thing you miss. I didn't lead yeah. with it because I had a different way I wanted to structure it but that's probably the biggest it's like if you want to make any sense of Jesus and you know you want to get right with Jesus and you want him to be your Lord and Savior you you don't have much to go on in some in some respects because even his parables and his teaching and his miracles those are always going back to the Old Testament because he's doing what Elijah did or he's borrowing a parable from Isaiah or he's his kingship is understood in light of David or his prophetic work is understood in light of what Moses said would happen and the better prophet would come. And so uh, so that's a big, big category. And um, there's so much good stuff to work with, with people there to help them understand uh, how to make sense of Jesus in, in a real biblical way, as opposed to kind of, a you know, going back to Talladega Nights to not have an undernourished understanding of Jesus as kind of just a sort of hipster, cynic, traveling guy who's a miracle worker, maybe. It's like, well, it's not wrong, but that's very impoverished. And the yeah, way you, yeah. you you kind of improve that is is uh, reading the New Testament in light of the Old. Uh, then the two other ones, which are less obvious, but I think extremely important, are how the Old Testament is really completely... Uh, it's, a, it's completely non-negotiable to understand the scope of salvation. Mm-hmm. And that was probably the one that's a bit surprising to people, but once you actually realize it, you start to see it everywhere. A lot of people think, okay, the Old Testament points to Jesus, and that's it. That's not, does the Old Testament point to Jesus? Yes. Is that it? No. Um, many, many, many times the New Testament authors are drawing on Joel or Isaiah or Genesis Not strictly speaking as like prophecies of Jesus, although that's also true, uh, but they do it because in the Old Testament, they find the nuts and bolts and vocabulary and concepts to understand what salvation entails, Mm -hmm. to understand the mind of God as one who sovereignly ordains salvation, to understand how he entered into covenant with a people to save. How that relies not on works because the works lead to curse but rely on faith. who's the great proof text of that It's not a New Testament thing it's actually Genesis 15 and Abraham mm-hmm. um, you know Paul but also elsewhere going back to that uh, to understand even what uh, sort of how what is God's moral vision to shape you and mold you uh, you know. I guess in one sense, I understand why people want to kind of move away from Old Testament morality when, in terms of the moral law, not sort of national law. Uh, but and think, like, well, we don't need that; we can unhitch from that. I'm like, well, yeah, but you know, murder's still wrong, <laughs> right? and the yeah. New Testament is very clear on that, right? The Ten Commandments are you know quoted, and I mentioned this in the book, and I didn't know this until I did the work. But as a chunk, uh, the, the Ten Commandments are the, easily the most quoted chunk. Uh, hmm. You know, each individual verse is not initially the most quoted, but as an entity, it shows up all over the place. And so yeah. uh, it's like, apparently we're still supposed to not commit adultery. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so that's more of a sort of sanctification. Anyway, so, so the Old Testament is essential. And in fact, that's what I go through in that chapter is you look at all the key places where we try to, where we get something about, you know, so, grace, salvation, faith, Glorification, resurrection, all those bits and pieces, the, the striking thing, and I think surprising thing for many people is that, with rare exception, the apostolic writers prove that stuff out from the Old Testament. They even prove out resurrection from the Old Testament, which is surprising to some because you don't see resurrection on every single page in the Old Testament, but that's where they go to prove it out. Uh, so that's, the, that's one other bit. And then the final big category, so if you have salvation, you got Jesus, the final one is the church. Um, and that, you know, this this partly depends on one's macro perspective on things, whether you're a covenantal person or dispensational. But either, and I mentioned this in a few, It's like either way, there's key texts that are relevant to everyone. And um, there's in particular been a lot of good research in this area, kind of rediscovering this, that the, that the New Testament uses the Old Testament in extremely fascinating ways to understand who we are as the people of God, you know, calling Christians at Corinth sons of Abraham is mind-blowing when you think about it, because you're talking, and Paul does that in First Corinthians. He's like, these are our fathers. You are children of Abraham. He does the same thing in Galatians or whatever. Um, you think about that, like, if you've read the Bible a lot, you just sort of skip that. You're like, yeah, 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 I know. Father Abraham had many sons, many sons, and Father Abraham, I'm one of them, so are you. You sing the song. It's like, but if you pause and think about it, like, that, that's actually pretty crazy, He's writing to a almost exclusively pagan group of recent converts at one of the worst cities, the Las Vegas of the ancient world, Corinth. That had a word called Corinthianized that is basically to fornicate. That's that's what they were known for. Their calling card was immorality, and they they're baby Christians and very few Jews, and he calls them children of Abraham. Like, put yourself like in 40-something A.D. Like, that's astounding. That's a, yeah. that's an amazing way to read the Old Testament. Yeah. Um, and then Jesus does something similar where he says, pe- people get hung up in Luke 24, and I understand why. He says, look, as is written in the Scriptures, this, the, the Christ will suffer and die and rise again. A lot of people stop there because that's a huge thing. It's like, oh, wow, the Old Testament's about Jesus. But he goes on and he says, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins to be proclaimed to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of this. That's the mission of the church, right? That's the book of Acts. That's everything that we're called to do to proclaim the gospel to the nations. And Jesus says that's also from the Old Testament. Hmm. He doesn't tell you where, but if you've read Zechariah, if you've read Isaiah, if you've read Genesis 3 of all things, right? Uh, It's like, oh, yeah, God is... Sending his people to the nations. Like, that's not a new thing, actually. Uh, that's not something that's invented in the book of Acts at Pentecost. This is something that's been there from the very beginning. So, uh, that's a long way to answer the question. But the short version is if you don't take the Old Testament seriously, you're going to miss out on all of the concepts and vocabulary you need for salvation, you're going to miss out on how to truly understand who Jesus is, and you're going to miss out on how to understand who we are and what we're supposed to do as the church. So that's the short—I probably should have led with that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I need some better—I need some—they need, like, podcast training for people like me. Uh, how to do better, more concise, like, and our time is up. Uh, that's anyway, okay.
2: So, I, I think you yeah. did good. We covered a lot of ground in that. Yeah. Um, and, and you do, obviously, more work in—, in pulling all those apart in the book. Like you said, those are kind of the three big uh, chapters. I think they're very helpful. One way I heard you say it, I don't know if it was quoted exactly this way in the book, but maybe it's in one of the talks um, that you did that kind of led to the book. You said the gospel doesn't start in the New Testament. That was like one thing that you said, and I was like, oh, yeah. And it's it's just illustrating the point that you've made, which is, if we don't if we throw out the Old Testament, we're not getting a full picture of the gospel. I mean, we make a big deal, uh, you know, rightfully so, about the gospel in this day and age. Everything we throw the gospel-centered adjective before it, but if we don't, if we don't really understand and know the Old Testament, uh, or if we just neglect it altogether, we're missing a huge piece of, and we really right. can't understand it at all,
1: honestly. Yeah, um, I mean, and I, I, I think I went into this in the book, um, but either way. If, you know, you probably know this, but even the actual term "gospel," yeah, uh, in Greek, is an Old Testament term. <laughs> it's yeah. from uh, Isaiah and Joel, and potentially, depending on how you translate uh, uh, a psalm, and um, which makes sense because if we want to, de- you know, if we're called as Christians to define the gospel and salvation by faith according to our Bible. Well, the three of us have a much bigger Bible, right? Well, if, when Paul's on the scene, what was his Bible? If he wanted mm-hmm. to be scriptural and say, what is God's definition of the gospel, where's he going to go? Old Testament. Yeah, he Old only Testament. has one, but he only has the Old Testament <laughs> at that point. The Testament, um, I guess, at that point in time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he goes to the <laughs> Testament. wasn't even well, well, he ends up calling it the Old Testament, actually, so we get that yeah. language from him yeah. in 2 Corinthians. So uh, there was already a sense that there was something new coming, um, but... You know, in Paul, if Paul is one of the ones you know, we can really credit for fleshing out this definition of gospel, um, with the exception of James, maybe, you know, in summary, depending on who you ask, that could be the earliest writing, maybe Mark. Uh, but at some point, you have, like, right in that same ballpark, you have Galatians. You know, they're all within, you know, spitting distance of each other. And what's he doing in Galatians? He's, he's proving out this gospel to fight against a false gospel because people are being stupid in the church of Galatia and they're being led astray. And what does he do in Galatians over and over again? He goes to the Old Testament. And sometimes he goes to these very obscure places, Leviticus or like the Sarah and Hagar thing. And I mean, he's just like dropping all of these uh, dimes of Old Testament wisdom on them. And that's arguably one of the first, if not, you know, depending on, again, on dating, you know, could be the first New Testament writing. And there is nothing else for him to use yet other than the Testament. And so, um, you know, and and Jesus does say, in fact, probably even earlier or definitely even earlier than Paul. uh, If you really want to trace the gospel idea, you would trace it back to Jesus and his inaugural sermon in Nazareth. Uh, When he goes to his hometown and and it doesn't, they they kind of pull a, a, a Ray Finkel uh, do you know? Do you get that reference? You guys, that's Ace Ventura. Uh, Ace
0: Ventura, yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: They don't really welcome him back home. Anyway, in his first uh, major sermon, he basically just reads and exegetes Isaiah sixty-one, and that's the place where you have gospel terminology uh, mm-hmm. to proclaim the good news. That's got to gospelize, and so really, Jesus is the one that we would credit with. And then from him, it's actually Isaiah. Uh, he says, "Look, what I am doing is gospelizing. I am bringing the gospel, and and it's straight from Isaiah 61 and 62. Um, so, yeah, I mean, e- even our terminology uh, we wouldn't have without Isaiah as an example. Um, yeah. So, as yeah. mediated through Jesus and Paul,
2: so that's great. Okay, so let's assume now you've convinced us, right? And <laughs> yeah. Now we're going. Okay, I get it." But, and I think this is a big hang up for most people. Now, we still feel like we don't really have the tools. Like, it's like, okay, yeah, I know I should do that. I just don't really know how, where yeah. to start. Can you give an, us an overview of the steps you talk about in the book of like, okay, yeah. we come to an Old Testament uh, quotation in the New Testament. Where do we start? What do we do with this?
1: Yeah, no, that's great. Um I do offer, uh, I tried to simplify everything that people recommend and, and so forth down to what are hopefully three memorable and reproducible doable, you know, like I can, I can handle this steps. Uh, and, they're, and they're not, they're intentionally not kind of rocket science, right? I'm trying to actually give you tools that you'll use, not something that requires all sorts yeah. of uh, advanced expertise and a, um, and so on. Uh, and the first one is just a identifying that it's even happening at all. Um, that actually this writer Mark is actually using and pointing me to some old Testament passage, nine times out of 10, that's pretty straightforward. And I don't know if we've mentioned this, but depending on how you count it, that happens easily 400 times in the new Testament. So the other reason for the book is that this happens all the time. And so, you know, there's plenty to work with, and uh, it's not like it's a it's, it's not like this happens three times. So it's kind of wasted effort. Like this happens all over the place, and in every book of the New Testament, with the exception of the shorter Johannine epistles. But even those, even First John, still draws on the Old Testament. It's just not like he's not hitting you over the head with it. Yeah. Uh, so the first step is just recognizing. And again, like I said, most of the time it's pretty obvious because if you're using a modern translation, NIV, ESV, whatever, they're going to typically. And and with good accuracy, put quotation marks around it. And if you have a, some sort of Bible with footnotes um, of some sort, generally speaking, they will put some sort of footnote saying, OK, this is from Ezekiel or this is from whatever. And so uh, but knowing that is half the battle, recognizing it's happening. Sometimes it's a bit harder, uh, like, I, like, you know, with my random uh, movie references, even in our conversation, uh, what, you know. Sometimes I, you might just say the words uh, Ray Finkel or whatever, and one of you got it, one of you didn't get it, right? It depends on how, you, how well you know it. And so I, I had to go back and make that more explicit, like as it is written in Ace a Pet Detective. And so, but sometimes the New Testament authors don't do that. Sometimes they just sort of throw it in there. And if you know what they're talking about, if, if maybe you're a Jew who grew up in, in the synagogue, you know your Bible well, it's like, oh, yeah, I know what that is. I've heard that before. Otherwise, you might just be oblivious to it. It kind of depends, right? Uh, and so my hope is that we won't be oblivious, that we'll catch what they're, what they're trying, to, to, trying to show us. And so the first step is identifying that it's happening. And, uh, you know, I, do, I won't get into the details here, but once you catch that it's happening, you can do some work in terms of like, okay, did they tell me it's happening? Like, mm-hmm. did they say, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet— Or did they say the words but not tell me it's happening? Mm, mm -hmm. And those actually produce two different effects, right? Yeah. If you just—it's—it's like when people throw in like song lyrics or something like that uh, in a sermon or whatever. (laughs) Um, If you just sort of throw it in there, you know, you're kind of you're draping your argument in biblical language. You're almost creating this like this word picture that you're trying to get people back in that place if they can pick up on it. And if they can, that's super powerful, right? It's like, oh, yeah, I get that. It's, um,
0: it's like looking at the Old Testament and the New Testament as Finkel is Einhorn, and Einhorn is Finkel, just
1: to go back to that. Yeah. Um, I'm so lost. Other times, but if they say, like, <laughs> if they say, as it is written, that's more of a kind of argumentative proof almost. It's like, I want to make sure you know that what I'm about to say is actually what God has said. It'd be like quoting a court case or quoting a statute of the IRS. Yeah. Like, I'm doing it to prove to you a certain point. That's different than just kind of floating it out there to see if you pick up on it. So, you know, if you have the time, and it, again, it doesn't take forever because it's usually pretty obvious, but uh, I sort of think through, okay, did Paul explicitly quote this, or did he kind of just throw it out there to see if I pick up on it? And is there a difference between the two? So that's the first step is identify it. You know, and you can do that in 30 seconds, or you mm-hmm. can do it in three hours if you want to spend all day. I don't know. Uh, second step, and, th- and the second step is the one that uh, is the easiest to skip, right? This is the one where when you're pressed for time, you're just not going to do this, but that's why I'm saying, okay, let's keep it simple. You can do this, and I call it double clicking on the Old Testament, and what I mean by that is you could call it pinch zoom or whatever. Um, once you identify that you know, Peter is quoting from Isaiah 28 or something in First Peter 2. Don't just keep reading First Peter 2. Yeah. Take at least a couple minutes and go look up the whole passage that he's drawing from. Just like if you say, four score and, and seven years ago, or if you, uh, you know, just do a snippet of a famous song, you're really pointing that person to the whole thing. You know, if you say he's not a, he's not a, uh, a tame lion— Right, uh you're pointing people to the whole line, the witch in the wardrobe, uh or at least the whole passage, and so it's it's on us to go and study that whole passage mm-hmm. the vast vast, vast majority of the times when people get confused by what on earth is Paul doing by quoting this here, the point of confusion is they don't really know the original passage very well, uh they think Paul is like doing some sort of crazy wizardry with the Old Testament, when in reality, he's just like, go read it. It's actually not that hard. Like, go read Isaiah 28 and then come back and then we can talk, right? It's not actually that difficult. There's a couple, you know, a few are like, yeah, that's pretty weird. Uh, but even even in those cases, I feel like if you just study the Old, Tes- Old Testament passage and, and do that as thoroughly as you can, like, oh, yeah, I see what he's doing here. So the only way you do that is to actually put in the time to go and study at least the chapter. Usually a chapter's enough. You know, maybe, maybe if it's a longer section, you have to do a couple chapters. But I'm not saying you got to go read all of Isaiah every time Paul quotes Isaiah. That would be crazy.
0: Sure. But uh, get context, basically. Is-
1: yeah, just get the context. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's where there's kind of—that's where we probably have some—like, I think about this a lot as a pastor. Uh, that's where I think we have the biggest hurdle to overcome because— I know I don't know Zephaniah very well and i'm a pro- I'm a professional there's some other books I know pretty good uh, don't know English but um, you know I'm, I have weak spots and uh, people who are new I've, they're obviously going to have weak spots they're not going to know Deuteronomy in and out
2: mm-hmm.
1: and but Paul did and Jesus did and James did and that's the big problem uh, they didn't have Netflix they had their Bible right and so
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: The only way to overcome that is to commit to, as a church, as community groups, as families, whatever, to like let me try to understand the whole big picture of the Bible. Because if I don't understand what the exile is, if I don't understand what the conquest of Canaan is, then I'm never going to make sense of Hebrews, right? And so in the book, and you may have caught this, uh, one of the things I offer, and you can get it for free from the Crossway website, is a reading plan that is a, a curated reading plan. Mm -hmm. So it's not the entire Bible in a year. It's actually here are some of the key chapters that will give you a feel for the whole flow. Uh, And it matches up some old Testament passages with some new New Testament passages. It's a total of 200 chapters. And so you don't have to like bust through five a day. Uh, You can take as long as you want, but the whole goal is, here's the history of God's people From Genesis to Malachi in its phases to try to get your head around, okay, whenever people talk about the kingdom, what are they talking about? Okay, well, here's three chapters that you can kind of trace that through. And that's really, that's what you have to do. That's what, you know, just like any other field, you got to put in the time to understand the material that you're working with. Mm -hmm. And so, really, without, so if you don't start to cultivate that, even going back to read Isaiah twenty-eight is not going to make a lot of sense. Yeah, you got to know what Isaiah is about, right? Uh, so there's a bit of a chicken and egg. You, you fundamentally have to read all of Isaiah at some point in your life, right, <laughs> to make sense of Isaiah twenty-eight. But either way, you know, baby steps, right? And so uh, there's there's some things I recommend people to do to to raise the water level of their knowledge so that the Bible starts to make more sense to them. Um, and um, so when you double click on Habakkuk 2, which Paul quotes multiple times. I mean, you don't know how to spell Habakkuk, let alone what exactly he's about. So go read it. Maybe find some Bible tool, a summary of Habakkuk, what's he about. And then go. Then you're ready. It's like, all right, I can kind of see what Paul's doing. Let me go back to Romans and pick up where I left off. And so that's the second step is double-clicking and trying to wrap your head around the Old Testament. Now, my conviction is, and this is not shared by everyone, Um, But my conviction is that people, that lay people can actually do that. (laughs) That, uh, yes, there are passages uh, in both old and new that are not uh, equally clear to others. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, even Peter admits that what Paul says uh, is hard to understand. So that's fine. Um, But I think on the whole, with just patient in in English, uh, with a good translation, just Slow plodding, like let me read Isaiah, let me read Second Kings, yeah, let me do it again because I forgot it. Let me let me commit to understanding the basics of Genesis. Like you really can start to make sense of all of this. Uh, of course, you know, having friends and pastors and so forth help you is key, but it really can be done. And so that when you the third step, when you go back to the New Testament and, and well, when I, I label, can that, I pop in oh, yeah, here real ahead. quick before we yeah, jump sure. to that third one?
2: Um, I think you're that's a that's all very helpful. I think. Uh, you make a great point when it's like, listen, you can do this, but it, it's not going to be immediate, right? I right. think that's a a big key for a lot of people is you have to be patient with it. We have talked before about kind of developing the habit of reading fast and reading slow. So sometimes it, maybe you just you just read the Bible, right? Just get through it, get through Isaiah, get through Chronicles and Kings and start to learn those stories. And maybe you're not diving into every square inch of them uh, through that time. But also, and I think that's what most people hear about, they think, I got to read the Bible in a year, I need to do all that. And that's good. It's a helpful practice. But you also have to develop this time to read slow, which is exactly what we're talking about. Maybe I'm in Matthew, and I realize, oh, he's talking about this old... Well, now I'm, I'm not worried about you know, reading five chapters today, I'm just going to slow down and go, okay, let me go back to this story so I can better understand what he's saying here. And so I think often we're deficient in one of those practices and that, that hurts the other one. Yeah. Right.
1: Um, yeah, no, so, absolutely. So,
2: yeah. The big, and, the big, you know, the big and, and key and there patience.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's patience. And, um, one of the things I encourage the reader, especially if you are in a, a teaching capacity, Bible study leader, is, is is half the battle is showing people that this is actually something that you can enjoy. I know mm-hmm. that sounds kind of weird, but um, you know, the Old Testament is hard enough, and it's even harder if if people have modeled for you that it's like this boring thing that no one cares about anymore. It's like, no, mm-hmm. actually, it's pretty awesome, and you should care. And Jesus cared, and let me show you why to care. And just like my, you know, the the running joke here at RTS is that my New Testament classes are actually just Old Testament classes because I just keep doing that all the time. It's like, but I can't help it because that's what they're that's what they do. <laughs> and just trying to say, like, this is the story. This is a rich story uh, that's much bigger than uh, j- just you getting right with Jesus. Right? There's a whole yep. thing God's been doing, and you're a part of that. You're a, you're a small piece of this big, wonderful story, and that's what the Old Testament is about you know part of it is just on us to kind of sell that vision um but yeah perma like if people can know like ordinary people can know extraordinary details about star wars <laughs> and its universe yeah and it can pick out every little easter egg in the marvel universe yeah i'm like and it's it, like, you can do this, right? You can do it with the Bible as well. Uh, of course, those two things compete with the attention we give to the Bible, and I understand sure. that. But but, but uh,
2: that's also, a th- that is what makes those things good to a lot of people. Like, I think yeah. it's, it's important not to lose that, like, the Bible being robust like this isn't, like, a flaw. It's not a con. It's actually what makes it exciting. It's, oh, right. I can... I can spend the rest of my life studying this and never reach the end of it. Right. And I think there's, there's a part of us that kind of hates that, but I think when you're living into it, that's the only way you would want it to be because if you're ever like, oh, well, I, I know it all now, you just, yeah, I mean, you're just it, hit the and end and you know, it. It's if,
1: interesting. If you interact with, with people who are practicing Jews, practicing Muslims, and so on, this kind of casual shallowness that can be part of... Modern Christians' experiences is is really almost unique just to Christianity. Actually,
2: mm-hmm.
1: like if, if and, and I tell my this is this is related to the point, but like I tell my my Greek students who are like, man, do I really have to do this? Can I, you know, can I can it just like it's just me and Jesus? I'm like, okay, if you walked into a synagogue, or if you walked into a mosque, people who are training to know the Quran and, and so forth better in the Talmud, you know, they're they're Killing themselves to learn Hebrew and Aramaic, and that's normal. That's expected. That's a joy. It's a privilege. It's great. And they're like, I want to spend the rest of my life diving into the Talmud or the Hadiths. And it's it's like that's what people do. And so it's really like there is no such thing in some respects. With the, you know, apart from like for like committed Orthodox believers, not kind of just cultural Muslims, what have you. Uh, there isn't such a thing as like kind of. Talmud built Judaism to use, like Bible Belt Christianity yeah. is not a thing, oh. uh, yeah. because I like I, I, you know I just want I just want my verse of the day, man. That's all I want. It's like that's not a thing in other other uh, religions, um, yeah. and it's really tragic that that has become. And there's probably a lot of reasons for it, and I'm not trying to kind of throw people under the bus, but it is sad that that has become almost like a default expectation, like, entertain, here we are now, entertain me, give me my verse of the day, and I'm done. Like, that's not a thing in other world phase, and so we, we were pushing against a big um, – kind of a big set of baggage to kind of overcome that, and so um, – And so it starts with leadership. It starts with people sort of casting this vision of like, no, this is life enriching. And this is, this is good. This isn't nerdy. This isn't just for the specialists. This is for everyone. So, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, I, I get it. It's a, it's, it's a hard sell, um, because people want it fast and they want it on TikTok and they want it as quickly as possible. (laughs) Um, and, uh. I mean, and you guys have probably pitched some of this stuff. You know, I, I'm not necessarily the best person in this vein, but there's lots of other good stuff out there. The, uh, is it BibleProject.com or something yeah. like that with the guy that does the sketches and, you know, uh, there's lots of good stuff out there if you're a visual learner or mm-hmm. uh, or video overviews. Like, just say, go find that, you know, Ligonier or whatever, Third Mill. There's tons of stuff out there where they can say, all right, let me show you in five minutes what Isaiah is about. I'm probably the bad person for that because I'll just talk for seven hours. But there are other people who are better <laughs> at it. You can say, all right, you're not yet ready to read all of Isaiah. That's fine. Let me give you the big picture in pictures, right? Let me actually sketch it for you. And then the next go around, you read a little short book about Isaiah. The next go around, is like, okay, let let me read all of Isaiah cover to cover and see if I can make sense of it. And then, you know, as you do that, and then you're going back to the New Testament. Now for the fifth time you're reading Isaiah 40, you're like, ah, that's what, that's the voice in the wilderness. I get it now, you know? Uh, So, yeah, it takes time. That's not something you can do overnight. And that's what I was trying to say is, like, most religions don't operate on that assumption that you you can just get kind of a quick fix. And it's really kind of unfortunate that in many parts of the the kind of Western church, we're there. But, you know, keep fighting for it, I guess. Yeah. Okay, so you want (laughs) to go back to the third step? uh, I will, Uh, absolutely. Yeah, so the third step, and this is really what everyone's after, I guess, ultimately, uh, at least from— You know, when you're not just studying the Old Testament and right on on its own terms. Uh, The final step is you go back to your New Testament passage, so Matthew 2 or wherever you were. And uh, I kind of, I don't even know if, I don't think it's original to me, but I don't know where I picked it up along the way, but I I describe it as listening to the remix. And, And so what I mean by that metaphor is whenever a New Testament author has quoted or alluded to the Old Testament, they're not just copying and pasting. Uh, there's because of what Jesus has done, and the fact that we've gone from old to new, and He's shaken up the world, and the new era is here, and everything's changing. In light of all of that stuff, His life, His death, His resurrection, His ascension, all those things. Um, it actually it wouldn't make any sense for them just to copy and paste, uh, as if it were just like a dead word on the page. What yep. they do is they say, and I think Remix helpfully captures this, is they're they're simultaneously doing two things. One, they're being faithful to the original text. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I'm 100% on board with that. I don't think that they're monkeying around and distorting the meeting. That's a whole different conversation, a very important conversation. Um, but in my in my research, I, I don't think that's, that's true. I don't think they're like magic decoder ringing the Old Testament. Uh, I think they're being very, very... Uh, Really, really kind of right down the fairway most of the time. Uh, if you know the Old Testament, like, oh, yeah, you're just, that's exactly what you're doing. It's not some, like, crazy mystery. Yeah, uh, I think the church fathers are sometimes doing that, but I don't think the apostles are doing that. <laughs> um, and, and so they're like, okay, here's what God was doing back then, and then the remix element is, okay, how has that now matured to its fullness? Yeah, uh, It's not sort of like a hidden meaning. It's it was by design pointing forward to this greater fullness. It was actually baked into it. Um, almost a not so much an engineered obsolescence, but an engineered half-bakedness that has now been fully baked. And so we're going to bring out all those all those flavors that you're missing because the fullness of time hadn't come. And that's how Paul describes mm-hmm. it in Corinthians. We're, we're in the fullness of time now. And so what our job then, as we go back to, wherever you are in the New Testament, is is say, okay, I've studied what the original is. And so I know what the the original song is, if you will. How is it being remixed? What are they trying to draw out? How is it a picture of the gospel? How is it now a picture of Jesus that that they may not have realized back then? uh, Or at least it wasn't as fully disclosed back then. And so a good remix both respects the original but also maybe it's a different tempo maybe it's accenting different parts of it it's a different set of rhythms or it's a I don't know a jazzier remix or whatever and so you're trying to kind of listen to what Paul or whomever is doing as they respect the original song but it's not just playing the original song it's remixing it yeah. and bring out all this new freshness if you will. Uh, to the to the old, to the good, the oldies uh, <laughs> to play it out, <laughs> and so uh, I, I offer some different thoughts on that. You know, are they treating it as a fulfilled prophecy, which happens quite a bit? And so that's the remix component. It's like you know, somebody predicted something, now that's come true. That's not the only thing. You know, it could be a pattern, and I think this is very 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 common where what you saw with the Israelites back then is now being repeated today. Stephen yeah. says that, for instance, in Acts 7, you know, as your forefathers did, so also you are doing now. Uh, or it could be a prescription. It's like God said don't murder back then. And, and this is where it's like not really a remix. In some respects, it's a real <laughs> minor remix. Uh, it's like the author's own remix. Uh, like still, by the way, don't murder. Right? <laughs> um, and so it kind of depends. Uh, and so I, I try to get people. And, and so what I do in each of the chapters is I work through that, those three steps identify, double-click, and remix uh, across a whole bunch of examples that fit in the, those three macro categories, gospel, Jesus, and church. And so uh, if nothing else, I've told you what to do, and then at least I've tried to model. I do 18 different examples. I try to model, okay, here's how I would, how I would apply it, uh, and I kind of show my work, if you will, and, and hopefully that gets people going, say, okay, yeah, here, now let me go do it in my Bible study and see if I can take, uh, give it a shot. Speaking of which, by the way, well, it's over there. Uh, I can't remember. <laughs> maybe, maybe you saw it, but uh, to further help people with that, I've created a uh, freely accessible study guide where mm-hmm. uh, you can get this on the Crossway website. You can, there's also a, um, like a nice printed version that I'm just selling at cost via a print-on-demand supplier. Uh, so it's like a fifty-page thing with basically a bunch of questions that you could do in a small group, but also it has the blank yeah. templates of how to do those three steps. And so you can take yeah. uh, various passages, and, and I've given plenty to, to work with that aren't covered in the book. Uh, and you can go and actually try it out. You know, you can literally fill it in and take it to Bible study, and y'all can talk about it. So uh, again, part of the idea is trying to help people develop a certain rhythm and that they can do on their own. So um, yeah. trying to at least That's- do what I can to. To get it, you know, my wife was the one who pushed me to to do the study guide. She's like, "You got to get in the study guide game, man." I was like, "But I'm not, I'm not Jen Wilkin." Uh, so I tried. Uh, I did my best. Uh, poor yeah. imitation of of a Jen Wilkin, Nancy Guthrie uh, sure. study or whatever. Hey, so it's okay. Uh,
2: I, yeah. a, a poor imitation may still be pretty good because they do yeah. they do a pretty good job at it. But yeah. um, I will say, I think I think that may those may be worth the the cost of the book. I, I'm one of those guys that's like, you got to you got to learn by doing like I always make fun of my mom when she's like, show me how to do this on the computer. And I'm like going to type it and she's like, no, 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 no. I have to do it. You just tell me what to do. And it takes about 10 times as long, but it's the way she actually is going to be able to retain that information and, and learn it. And so, um, I think the, the places in the book where, like you said, you show examples of like, here's how I'm working out these principles that I'm telling you, make it all come to life, make it all uh, yeah. actually feel like, oh, okay, I'm starting to build these skills. And I think, as you mentioned in the study guide, that more place for you to do that and work that out, possibly in a group would be extremely,
1: extremely helpful. Yeah. And even if you disagree with my take on a passage, it still shows you, well, here's how I got there. And part of what I was trying to do is like, some of the examples are massive. Um, And justifiably so. And I could, you know, write a book on one of them. Right. And so what I was trying to do is say, okay, what what are the what's the bare minimum that you need to know to sort of connect the dots here? And let me show you this. It's it's actually it really isn't rocket science, but it does require this like, okay, God is he's creator. He selected a people, created a nation. They had kings. The kings failed. They were judged. They're in exile. Like, even that basic flow, if you can just nail that down and, I don't know, mm-hmm. tattoo it on your arm, um, <laughs> depending on your take of Leviticus, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that alone will, like, go so far to help you make sense of any given place that you're going to be plopped down into when you're reading First Thessalonians or something like that. And so, um, and so I was trying to – I was like, okay, I'm going to do, like, a two-sentence summary <laughs> of jeremiah 31 which is kind of crazy when you think about it. it was like but it can actually be done um at least for the audience that i'm trying to uh to address and and inspire so awesome. you don't you really don't have to go read everything that's ever been said about a given verse to do your bible study and go and teach it to the youth group or something like that you really can't do this um yeah and the nice thing and i mentioned it somewhere in the book is like on the flip side, if if you are a Bible geek and you got Greek and Hebrew, um, these three steps you could also do for twelve hours and yeah. write a paper and go study, <laughs> you know, Dead Sea Scrolls or something like that as part of it. It's it's very it's extensible, if you will. Yeah. So that was part of the design because um, again, it's not well, it's, it's not like nuclear astrophysics.
0: Well, Greg, yeah. we we certainly appreciate you taking the time to to walk through this concept with us. But we also always want to ask our guests when people who are listening are interested in what we've talked about today or they want to learn more about what you're doing or or you have new books coming out, where can they go to to kind of follow and see some of those uh, projects that
1: you're working on? Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I do maintain a, like a personal website. I don't do a lot with it anymore in terms of putting just like fresh content out there because i do a lot for other blogs and stuff, stuff like that. Uh, and so you can, you can just Google me. It's just WordPress.com. It's not super fancy. Uh, in terms of actual, uh, kind of books that are in this vein, um, three others that I've done that are pitched in this general direction Two others with crossway and then one with Christian focus kind of, I hope because there is I, I think I do in some some unarticulated way have a master plan. I'm not really sure what it is, but there is a kind of cohesiveness. Uh one of them uh in my my first one like this is actually on canon. Uh not the artillery not the artillery. Um and but it's it's somewhat unique in many respects. There's been a ton of great stuff on New Testament canon, but Old Testament canon hasn't been covered all that well, especially for lay people, and so you know, two thirds of this book—it's just how we got the Bible, which I think is like two ninety-nine now. So it's very cheap. Um, it covers all the like very, very important questions that really are kind of they're they're step zero to getting to the point of let me study my Old and New Testament, if you will, if that makes sense. If if you want to read the Old Testament and New Testament well, you got to trust that you got the right books and that you actually mm-hmm. have accurate copies of those books, because otherwise, you're left kind of spinning. And so that book is trying to say, okay, what are the reasons why we think we have the right Old Testament books? So we're not missing Jubilees or First Enoch or whatever, whatever people are going to like write about on some blog that's going to make people freak out. Why do we think we have accurate copies of the text? And so that's the Old Testament side. And then I do the same thing for the New Testament. Do we have all the right New Testament books? Do we need to include each you other? Know, what if we ever found a third letter of Paul or, whatever, or third uh, Corinthians? And then why do we think we can trust the text? And so that's one book that uh, it's like 99 pages. It's meant to be pretty short that gets into that. Another book that's a bit more academic, but it's related. And we mentioned it, or I mentioned it in this book, is a book I co-authored with a buddy of mine named Will Ross on the Greek Old Testament, which is a key part of the equation. We haven't talked about it, but many times when a New Testament author quotes from the Old Testament Somewhat surprisingly, they're not actually quoting from the ESV, <laughs> let alone the King James, with all due respect for the venerable King James. And I'm 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 a fan of the King James, just not an exclusive fan of the King James. <laughs> surprisingly, they are actually, and they're not actually always quoting from the Hebrew, which is where our English Bibles come from. They're quoting from a Greek version. And so we have a whole book on that and how to understand what that means. And I get into, I, I wrote the chapter, I wrote some of the chapters and Will wrote other chapters. But one of the big ones is what to do with... Situations where the New Testament quotes from that—that that is the Greek translation—when it differs from what you have in your Bible, uh, because what you have in your Bible is from the Hebrew. So I go into all like how to think about that, and is that a problem? And so if you're really kind of nerdy, uh, that should be a question that you ask. And hopefully this that book. So it's just called Septuagint, uh, the Septuagint, uh, what it is and why it matters. And then this the central chapter of this book, which is how the Old Testament shapes the way we understand Jesus. I've written a whole book on Jesus and his, you know, why we think he is truly divine. And uh, a big part of that relates to how the Old Testament plays into it. So those are three books that, uh, if you are interested in those topics, how we got the Bible, what is this Greek Old Testament, because you see a reference in your footnotes of NIV sometimes too. yeah, uh, And uh, more about the divine part. Well, part's the wrong word, but the the divine aspect of the the person of jesus than those are out there so and i have a few others in the works but nothing that'll be coming out anytime soon and nothing that'll be short so (laughs) right now i'm sitting on a bunch of long things so
0: (laughs) well greg we we certainly appreciate you coming on the show and talking us through this book we're gonna make sure to include all of these links in our our show notes so if you're listening uh, you'll be able to see where to get that uh, but Greg, thank you for coming on, and, and we were so excited to have you today.
1: Yeah, and, and thank you guys for what you do as well. It's good to, you know, without the, without the fundamentals, without the basic jump shots, you know, uh, people are impoverished. So thank you guys for helping helping build people up in that way. Definitely. Yeah. definitely. Awesome.
2: <laughs> All right, guys, we'll check out the book. Um, and as always, you can uh, keep up with what we're doing on social media. That's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Bible and Stuff. Uh, Yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks again, Greg, for joining us. Peace. The Bible and Stuff podcast is a production of Bible and Stuff. We do more than just podcasts, so if you want to know more about something we've covered on the show, just visit our website at bibleandstuff.com. Our show is hosted by Tanner Britt and Glenn Brand, and our theme music is by The Sing Team. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.